Hello guys, welcome to this podcast Everyday Talkies which ironically does not come out daily. I am Anshul and I talk about random things to random people, majorly about life, perspectives and thinking process. It's like an interview or let's say more of a conversation with one or two guests about random topics that interest us. To be really honest, it's just a way to reduce my inhibitions in talking to people. So, come join me and enjoy. Hello guys, this is Anshul here. We are back with a new episode of Everyday Talkies. I have with me my cousin back again. I could not find any new guests, so he has volunteered to save me in this crisis. <laughs> so, I'll quickly give him the platform to introduce a new name for himself. We'll not keep repeating names because that be- becomes boring. We want to learn about new people, about new things. Why not I shut up and give him the platform to talk about the new name that he has selected and why does that person or fictional character inspires him. Hi Anshul, thank you for introducing me again. I just have a question. Like I used to be your first choice for the podcast, so have I become the last choice for your podcast now? No, you I think are obviously my first choice for anything. Don't worry. Uh you'll always be my first choice for the podcast and um probably last choice as well in some cases, you know, when I don't have any guests, I will have to <laughs> fall back on you. So probably it satisfies both the requirements. I was just kidding. I was just breaking the ice because I'm quite anxious for today's episode because I don't know if I'll be doing justice the person I I'm thinking of choosing his name. So for today's episode you can address me as Noah and Noah not because of the Christian mythological figure who kind of saved every species by creating a, an ark in a boat or something like that and giving shelter to like a pair from all the species and saving or something like that happened in the Christian mythology. So I'm not using Noah because of that. I'm using Noah because of Yuval Noah Harari. He is a very proclaimed author and a very uh, renowned professor he is basically a historian like before reading his books my perspective about historians were quite different i used to believe that historians go to ancient sites and they dig up kind of manage the digging of artifacts from ancient times and they study those artifacts and try to figure out things so you confused historians with archaeologists exactly so after reading his books i learned what his historians actually are like they indulge themselves into history and try to figure out how things went so that they can come up with for solutions to the problems which are happening in the present as well as in the future so that is why i chose his name for today's podcast because like i have no words to describe him anymore so how about we talk about the books that have inspired both of us i think i read his first books 3 years ago maybe and i was actually like when i was reading that book it took me long time to complete that book because each and every line and every page was filled with so much of information and knowledge and perspectives and ideas that you had to give the time if you wanted to do justice to the book so like your perspectives about things change a lot okay uh, just to interject both of us know about the name of the book but for the listeners it's sapiens by yuva noah harari i'm so blown away by him that i don't even remember to mention the name of the book so like uh, recently i was reading his book homo deus and even you were and like there was this chapter we both found very interesting and like we discuss in such details about that chapter yes that was homo deus time bomb in the lab so it's quite scary of a chapter but it gave me a great great insight on human mind concepts of free will and human evolution as a whole on how we think about certain things and overall just not about this chapter but overall 
about the book Sapiens or Homo Deus. It's an amazing, amazing read for anybody to have insightful thought about their life, human evolution, their past, their future, and how humans react in these situations of crisis. Because he has addressed many aspects of human life over the course of his books, and it's an amazing read. So a good recommendation for anybody. But let's not dwell into that and come back to the chapter that we were discussing, Homo Deus, time bomb in the lab. It really intrigued us, and you know we spent hours uh, discussing this topic while on a call, and we thought why not just record it as an episode of the podcast and discuss it with the listeners just bring out our views on what noah has written in this book just to give a flavor of you know what this chapter contains like i'm going to ask you a few questions what do you do when you edit your the podcast which you record over the call like what are the steps that you have to do so my secret sauce though not professional by any means is basically what i do is i take the recording clean up all the background noise i edit it in certain ways where you know kind of removing the filler words that we use most often because it sometimes becomes annoying and obviously when we record we think and then we talk there are long pauses which don't really suit when somebody's listening to an intriguing conversation so they want a constant flow of information so i try to remove long silences and try to keep a coherent system sometimes we speak which are not correct at all so i have to you know do a fact check and then remove those aspects or give a disclaimer at the end that we are no means by any experts so <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt so obviously yeah there are a few things that i need to consider you know before releasing it out to the public though again it's a normal conversation between two people but obviously whenever you're putting something out for everybody to listen it has to be true it should not in any way spread false news it's mm-hmm. just our opinion uh, based on some facts so yeah that's about it uh so i asked you that question because this is experiment which is being mentioned in the book what actually happens is in our mind and in our in our brain there are a lot of noises which are popping up at all the time some noises are very conflicting and like we can call them background noises so like when we are trying to focus on a task for instance maybe write a book or watch a movie some of the thoughts will you know try to take that space and that will try to come up and we are not being able to focus on the task which is at hand so scientists are developing novel techniques and ways in which they can clean those background noises in your brain so that you are focused on one task at that particular moment and you can do perform those tasks with much more efficiency and much more precision if you want to say do you want to describe that experiment because even you read the book and i'm sure you can guess which experiment i'm talking about yeah i think it, uh, you're talking about sally the journalist right from new scientist yeah that's actually a cool experiment when i was reading the book basically this is journalist who is interviewing a group of scientists i think mainly from the military they have designed a battlefield simulator where there are terrorists all around virtual terrorists and you have a sniper in your hand and you want to kill them so it's basically you know a, a video game of sorts mm-hmm. but they have a transcranial helmet too many jargony words but it's basically something which calms you which shuts off your background noise as you clearly mentioned so what was done there was a control experiment that is she just went went in the experiment with just a gun killing virtual terrorists her accuracy was not at all great she was nervous obviously when you're abruptly put into a scenario of such kind there are some hesitations you think twice before you know pulling the trigger i understand this is not a real world scenario but the simulator was very real it was i think better than a vr situation so you know it felt very real uh-huh. so those are the mental thoughts that go behind and i think that is what the book said where she was facing and so the accuracy was not that great and but yeah she managed to do okay quite okayish now for the 
important part of the experiment she went for the experiment again but with a small change they placed a transcranial helmet on her head now when she went with that helmet inside the battlefield simulator she was absolutely calm she had great trigger fingers she was killing all the terrorists with absolute accuracy her killing ratio just skyrocketed and the conclusion that was derived from this experiment was that as you clearly mentioned that there are numerous background noises that go inside our head which hinders us from focusing on a task be it as mundane as you know writing a book or uh, watching a series or anything in this example let's say killing terrorists in a simulator so shutting off those background noises and making your mind focus on one important task and improving your focus and accuracy is something which that helmet made sally do and it's quite a big revelation where a group of scientists could control human or brain waves how do i put this in a more easier sense control your will so yeah that is what was the conclusion what are your insights after this experiment first i want to uh, like tell you that you mentioned that she went on this experiment again with a small change i believe that was not a small change it can be a revolutionary thing in, in the future secondly i was reading uh, about her and she told that she was so hooked on to it that even after a few weeks after her visit to that military base where she had performed that experiment she wanted to go again uh, because she told that when she was wearing that helmet she was so calm like all her doubts and all her inhibitions and insecurities they slowly vanished and died away she doesn't know how and she became so much more confident so much more focused that she was able to like you said uh, kill all the terrorists uh, which she was not being able to do earlier although the author cleverly puts in a disclaimer that uh, this might be because of a placebo effect we don't know but like these are the experiments which are being conducted and which are you know changing the way we perceive free will as such my take away from this chapter was that natural selection invalidates free will because when you think of it when you perform a task it can either be random or it can either be predetermined so there is a small experiment which the author mentions in which a patient was there and he was given two switches and even before he pressed a switch scientists should have they could guess which switch he is going to press they covered his brain with a helmet and certain electrodes and they were able to read what is going in his brain and even before pressing a switch he knew what is being done like that tells you that there is no such thing as free will like if i uh, relate natural selection with free will as most of the people might be aware of what evolution is what happens in evolution is that the traits which helps you survive gets passed on so like if you have a free will you can choose to do whatever you want to do so if you believe in natural selection that means that you are doing those things because those traits helped you survive and you are repeating those same traits and that is being passed on to your future generation in that way you are not having any free will you know the code for those were already written millions of years ago and that has been passed on yeah like he sums it up basically that the reasons for us doing anything is based on these three factors genetic makeup evolutionary pressures or chance mutations we have radioactive elements in our body which react with atoms decay at random rates which might lead to a firing of a neuron at a random position and make us take a decision and as you clearly mentioned they have done experiments on human beings that even before taking a decision decision is actually formed in the brain from few milliseconds to a second in advance before you know doing something and just to give a context in a more i think lucid sense which again was stated in the book by using a robots example where a robot is nothing but a pre-programmed body by human beings but how do you make decisions by a robot random how do you do that any code that you write is basically pre-programmed it's dependent on something so it's not truly random it's just a pseudo random thing 
again a thought experiment here what if the cpu of the robot was linked to a radioactive uranium substance so radioactive u35 atoms decay at random rates now that is a truly random nat- nature's thing so what if those random decays led to a decision made by the robot so if say at a given amount of time even number of uh, uranium atoms decay then he'll take the decision right or yes if an odd number of atoms decay then he'll take the decision no or left now the decisions made by the robot is actually truly random but can you say that it is free will absolutely not because ultimately he himself or it himself whatever the pronouns are confusing me here but cannot take any decisions because it is based on an external stimuli or an internal stimuli in this matter i think that same thing applies for a human if you think humans as a shell for our brains which are reacting nothing but to the external stimuli that is happening in an environment or the code which is inscribed in us in our dna which is evolved from natural selection as you clearly stated and removes the meaning of free will it does there are various parts in the book when promoting free will and individualism was actually beneficial for the people at large for the economy for the politicians for society to function more effectively like you needed manpower to go to wars or you know run machine in the factory so for that having a free will and a sense of individualism was important uh, because if you didn't ascribe those values to an individual they won't be able to relate that well to the task which they are doing and so you had to tell people that okay you are valuable you are valuable that is why you are needed in war that is why you are needed in for this task and like you have a free will so you can choose which government should govern the policies in the state or you can go and choose which movies you want to watch so like those are the things which was popular and which actually had benefited the society yeah and even human decisions somewhere are influenced by other people basically we were talking about the government we choose or let's say uh, the movies that we choose do you really think those are free will because right now everything is you know either you're influenced by let's say your friend who is recommending you a movie and that is why your neuron suggests to you that it's a pleasurable experience for both of you because you could relate to that person and that's why it's a choice that you make or the whole industry behind ott platforms that is netflix amazon prime they know your data better than yourself so they recommend you certain shows which makes you believe that you are interested in that world itself so you never venture out to try something new so if you like sci-fi you are only shown sci-fi recommendations and that is where you live in or beat any other genre for that matter and you know the concept of doubting free will actually has practical implications as well where if you doubt free will if you think that free will is non existent then you can modify human brains with let's say genetic engineering or brain stimulation or drugs to make humans do whatever they want also uh, like this experiment which we were discussing robot rat professor named sanjeev talwar in the state university of new york he actually performed this experiment what he did was that the decision making part of the brain of the rat was actually implanted with electrodes and so with a uh, switch the professor controlled remotely he could tell the rat what to do like he had to train the rat to obviously get used to that electrode and actually you know do what the professor wanted to do if it press a button the rat would turn left or the rat would turn right or the rat would climb a ladder a lot of animal activists actually had a dialogue with the professor that what you are doing is ethically incorrect and you should not be doing this experiment like i was quite fascinated when i read the professor's argument where so the professor mentioned that i am not harming the rat in any way when i actually press the button and the electrodes in the rat's brain are stimulated they produce some electrical signals in his brain which actually makes the rat want to go 
left or want to go right it basically triggers the pleasure centers of the brain for the rat and that is why it complies with the professor and so if the rat could speak and if you could have a conversation with the rat and you ask the rat that why did you turn left and why did you turn right so the rat will say that i have a free will i chose to turn left and i chose to turn right or i chose to climb the ladder no one influenced my decision because the rat was unaware that those decisions were actually coming remotely from a remote which is was being operated by a professor in another room this one thing i would like to interject the argument that he gave the animal welfare activists he quoted this is a direct quote from the book and he said the rat actually feels nirvana <laughs> when he yeah. makes those decisions so you know it gives a sense of feeling that what if we are all controlled by a supreme entity although like all those experiments are quite in the nascent stage and to actually affirm those theories that we don't have free will there have to be a lot more experiments but you get a gist of what the author actually tries to convey there's another example which i remember like there's a hospital in jerusalem hadassa hospital they have developed a very novel technique of treating depression what they do is they plant certain electrodes at certain portions in your brain although this is a very invasive treatment but that is what they are doing so what that electrodes do is it actually calms and reduces the electrochemical signatures in the portions of your brain which gives rise to the feeling of feeling gloomy or feeling sad or depressed or struggling mentally so it kind of limits the functions of that particular part of the brain when those electrodes are activated and if a person is depressed they actually feel better after those electrodes are used as a treatment for their depression you know just to conclude that experiment one thing that was super funny which was mentioned in the book was after that experiment was conducted i think after a few weeks or months the patient came back and said that he had a relapse he was feeling depressed again even after the treatment now that was a source of concern for the scientists and after checking what was the problem they found out that the battery of the electrodes were dead basically the machine was not functioning and he was depressed all over again so it was just a battery failing that had relapsed the whole depression phase so it tells you how powerful the technology is that it basically molds a person as a whole and makes him feel better in this case so why don't we jump into a different section of the book which explores two different personalities that live in us it is called the narrating self and the experiencing self uh, so there's an experiment which the author mentions in the book it was conducted by a nobel prize winner named daniel kahneman and his team what they did was they had certain people lined up and they asked them to immerse their hands in a bowl of water which was at 14 degrees celsius for 60 seconds so after they had removed their hand after 60 seconds uh, they were given a break of 8 minutes and in the second instance they had to immerse their hand again in a bowl of water in which the temperature was 14 degrees celsius again and after 60 seconds a warm water was introduced in that bowl and the temperature was increased to 15 degrees celsius and after this was over like the first instance they had to immerse their hand for 60 seconds in the second instance they had to immerse their hand for 60 plus 30 seconds 90 seconds in total they were uh, again given a break of 8 minutes and they were asked that they'll have to choose either of the two experiments to be done again so 80% of the people chose the longer one over the shorter one from here they also picks up that how there's an experiencing self and the narrating self in your brain oh, like if you ask the experiencing self of you it will always choose the shorter shorter one because the aggregate pain over there is limited but the narrating self functions in a different way it actually uses the peak end rule to recall what the experience you had so it will remember the maximum temperature which your hand felt while it was immersed in the bowl and it will remember the final temperature which your hand felt 
it will average that sensations and those feelings like those temperatures and try to recall which was better for the narrating cells the long y experiment was better because the average of this was less than the average of the shorter experiment the decisions which you make are actually being governed by the narrating cells and the experiencing cell doesn't have a lot of say in that this is a nice way where the author explains what narrating self and experiencing self is you know it's basically intertwined it's not something which you can you know pinpoint as two different aspects basically experiences let's say imagine hunger hunger is an experience but narrating self gives it a different meaning depending on situation if you are hungry because of ramzan one case second case for a medical exam or the third case because you have no money in all the three cases the experience is the same but there is a whole different story behind each of those relations the experiencing self treats the hunger as hunger that's about it because that's the experience that you're getting the narrating self depending on the situation writes the entire story and gives you an entire feeling if you're hungry during ramzan then you don't feel pain of that level because that is something you participate in even for a medical exam the pain is not that difficult because again that is something you choose to do and that is something for your own benefit for a longer run but if you are poor the hunger hurts you more because you can't even feed yourself or your family so that is how psychologically both narrating self and the experiencing self differ and it said that the narrating self is duration blind so as you clearly mentioned that it does not see if the pain is lasting for a longer time all that matters for the narrating self is the aggregate pain or the average pain should be less that's about it it's not that you have split personalities some people rely more on narrating self decisions and some people rely on more experiencing self decisions so people who are more i think inclined towards experiencing self they will prefer a shorter experiment but people who are more inclined in the narrating self aspect of their mind they will probably prefer the longer or more averaged pained out experiment and you know evolution plays a huge part in this aspect and it has cracked this case way before human beings ever had and there's a beautiful example mentioned in the book where it says that human birth is an unbearable moment for the lady so no sane woman would ever want to do it again but why does this happen that they want to go through the process of childbirth all over again because right after labor human body has a secretion of such hormonal system which actually reduces pain and gives a feeling of elation for you and obviously our society is such that if you give birth it's a merry situation so you feel happy to satisfy the society as well so overall if you see the last moment is ending on a very high note so even if you going through a painful procedure but because you're ending on a very happy note or a very you know satisfied note the average experience becomes way less painful and that is why you know human beings prefer to go through the whole cycle again and again now one absolutely tremendous quote which i have specially written down to be heard by all is the narrating self goes over our experiences with a sharp pair of scissors and a thick black marker it censors at least some moments of horror and files in the archive a story with a happy ending so that is what in just a narrating self is uh so in the book the author also mentions about the wars which happened and how the politicians actually makes more people die because of this uh, for example he mentions the war during world war 1 when italy went to 
war with the Austria and the Hungary government. There were 11 wars within the span of two years. In the first war, 15,000 people died. In the second war, I think 40,000 people died, and in the third war, 70,000 people died. Uh, so the number of people dying in the war was increasing, but more and more people uh, continued going to the war. After the first war, had the Italian government signed a peace treaty with the Austrian-Hungarian government, so much people wouldn't have had to die. But 15,000 soldiers had sacrificed their life for the nation, so they had to ascribe some purpose or some sense of value to that. So if they told that, okay, those soldiers. Dairen Wayne novel sign a peace treaty defeats the purpose of being in war basically so they want ki in hindi we say is maut ka badla lenge so it's something like that they didn't die in vain exactly so like there will be some uh, reservation or apprehension from the people in italy as well as the politicians that they can't say that those soldiers died in vain they can't say that like uh, if they say that it defeats the value of life of those soldiers instead they tell that they'll uh, take revenge of those sacrifices which were made by the soldiers and they send more soldiers to war and this keeps on just piling up You're absolutely bang on on how narrating self is used to justify our feelings, be it a war, be it the economic mayhem that we are. Similarly, the book also mentions about how a whole industry of religious trickery is behind, which benefits from the narrating self of human beings. Basically, very funnily, it states in the book that the more painful the sacrifice. the more convinced people are of the existence of this imaginary recipient so it's got insightful to think how crazy sacrifices makes humans believe that that sacrifice will yield more fruitful results in the future and people sometimes fall for that and there's nothing to blame it's basically your own human brain cooks up the whole entire story and falls for the trap the whole industry runs behind that so just closing thoughts i would say about the whole aspect of challenging free will by technology or by genetic engineering and the aspects of narrating self and experiencing self how do you take this as a reader and how do you interpret this as a whole i think uh, this book affirms some of my beliefs and some of my thoughts which i used to have like i used to believe that people are governed by uh, you know their evolutionary traits in some sense although i even used to believe in free will like if i'm choosing to eat pasta or pizza that is my choice but i think that is not my choice anymore uh, the choice has already been planted in my brain yeah those are things that forces you to think about that both of us are interested in space and humans evolved in such a way that we want to survive and we are very adaptable to a lot of different environment even if our body doesn't survive in those temperatures or those conditions we make gadgets or equipments which help us to survive in those environments like we have already inhabited the entire globe and right now we are moving towards colonizing mars and different astronomical body even those are governed by our inherent genetic coding which forces us to you know expand like we don't want to settle in a particular place we have to expand our gaze and our civilization in a sense so yeah that is what i believe it's wonderful to think how you you know linked this to the aspect of human survival and us moving out from intraplanetary to interplanetary even after reading the book where i start questioning do we actually have free will or does any of my decisions actually matter i don't think so at least for me it does not affect my day to day activities i don't know whether it should but it just gives me something to think about in my mind that i am a product of nothing but random mutations genetic coding and evolution that's about it i'm preprogrammed by nature to behave in certain ways bringing that concept bringing the concept which this chapter describes in a more coherent sense in a more day to day sense is still difficult at least for me like what do you feel about that yeah i actually think that what you said is true it is very difficult for our mind to actually accept what the author mentions because this kind of 
goes against whatever we have believed for such a long time i would like to close this episode down by quoting the quote goes something like this for the narrating self would much prefer to go on suffering in the future just so it won't have to admit that our past suffering was devoid of all meaning i think that is what our life is basically this is so true yeah i can actually relate my entire life to this particular quote i understand like i think most people can and uh, something to think about at the end of the episode but again as always thank you so much for being a guest in this podcast it is always my pleasure to be a guest and thank you for having me i'm looking forward to our next recording and i hope that we did justice to his book yeah i'm sure we might have butchered some explanations so people who are not satisfied or want to know more about these things you can obviously use the internet or go by homer dus uh, by yuval noah harari absolutely an amazing read go ahead read sapiens or his new books i think 21 lessons for the 21st century thank you so much and i'll catch up with you all later bye bye Thank you to all the listeners. I'll catch up with you again soon with someone new and lots of interesting discussions. So, bye.